0: Welcome to the Living Savior Sermon Webcast. We invite you to join us here for our worship service every Sunday at 10 a.m. Find out more at lsavior.org. Thank you for joining us today. Dear friends in Christ, it's one of the most common phrases in our everyday language. It's probably something that you said today or yesterday, if not every other day. Certainly once a week, if you didn't say it, you undoubtedly heard it. It's something that becomes so common that we don't necessarily think about what it actually means when we actually say it and when we actually hear it. It's a given when we hear it. It's just to take, we just take it as is that people will understand when we say it. We use it as a, an excuse and an explanation. It's when we're overtired and when we're overworked. It's when we're behind and when we feel burdened. We say, I'm too busy. Just to kind of prove that this is a thing, I I googled the phrase, I'm too busy, and it came up with 32.5 million responses with that phrase, so I kind of didn't need to do that because you and I know that it's a thing, and I, I know you do. From those of you who are CEOs to those who predominantly just worry about serving up Cheerios, to those who preach and teach and those who reach the people in your life, to those who are in charge of hiring or firing, to those of you who are just retired, all of you have thought it, many of you, as I look at you, have said it to me, because we talk every now and again, we say, we think things like, I'm too busy. And partly that's okay. It's okay for us to say this, because there are some things that we kind of like to say we're too busy for, right? Like your neighbor's got a dirty job, and he invites you over to help fix his toilet or do something in the crawl space, and you kind of do, I'm too busy, Kind of give yourself a fist bump happily, and you don't have to help with that. When your coworker asks you to serve on that committee and that extra board, and then also the school wants you to be on the PTO, and you kind of look at all of these things: three committees, two boards, PTO. I'm I'm too busy, and you're okay with saying that. And when your family kind kind of has another request for you, you and you say, "I'm too busy." Some things we should say because we, we should say, "I'm too busy" for because we have not figured out how to turn 24 hours into 36, how to turn seven days into eight. And our schedules are full and so, in many respects, we need to and we like to say things like, I, I'm too busy and that's, a, and that's an okay thing and sometimes it's not an okay thing. There's another side to that too, right? Because this is something that we don't always want to say. When your kids say, we want to go hiking, we want to have a movie night and you know that you've got to take little Johnny to the basketball practice and little Susie to the ballet recital and you want to do all these things with your kids but you can't. You say, we're too busy. When at work, they give you a project and it's right up your alley and you want to say yes, but you can't, and so you say, I can't, I'm too busy. When you look at the neglect that you have in your home life, in your work life, and every aspect of life, you wish you could, could not feel so regretful about all those areas, and, but in the end, you kind of just tell yourself, I'm too busy. And it would be nice and neat and clean and easy if that were it. But it gets even more difficult. You see, the stress that we feel at work, the tension in our relationships and at home, and sometimes the fragmenting that we see happening, not just on paper, on our calendar, but also in life is killing us. It's killing us, because all of it amounts to stress, not just in words or things that we say, but in what we actually feel. I remember talking to a classmate, a good friend of mine. He's very healthy. And at the age, several years back, of 27, he went in for an operation at the Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota, on his heart, because part of his heart died. Why? Because of stress. I've talked with and visited several of you where it was back pain or migraines. It was something neurological or maybe psychological, some depression or anxiety. Maybe it was something related to your heart. Maybe you were just strung out relationally and you were at wit's end with your spouse or with your kids or with a sibling or your parent or whomever. <clears throat> and of all the possible causes, one of them certainly was, at least if you were honest enough to admit it, was stress. It was you feeling the full weight of being too, being too busy. So this is, this is the part where you think that I'm gonna launch into the self-help sermon, right? Here's 12 steps for a better you. No, nope. no, nope. because there's something even greater at stake than your sanity, your schedules, your stamina, and your strength. It's your spiritual well-being, it's your soul. That's why we've been talking about how we live a life we've been calling in between. And we're in this world, but we're not of it, and God has called us to be heirs and co-heirs with God the Christ, our Savior, in heaven. Scripture tells us that, and so we're kind of caught in between and we think about what this end time is all about, and it is here that Jesus, the master teacher, gives us a simple yet profound parable to tell us just how purposeful our lives are here and now. What is our our life supposed to be like? Is it really that we're supposed to feel this weight and this strain and this stress? My friends, I would like you to engage in this question with me today. What if we stopped not just saying and just accepting in our ears. But what if we stopped also thinking it acceptable to wonder if we're too busy or to think or to feel like we're too busy? What if we did that? As we look at our lesson today from Matthew 25, our gospel lesson, we're going to see that it's going to give us a new perspective. We're going to regain the the proper understanding of our priorities, and it will refocus and reemphasize the ultimate prize that we have. Perspective, priorities, and the prize. It's alliterative, so you can remember it. Go ahead and open up to our lesson from Matthew chapter 25, the gospel lesson, verses 14 to 30. The context of this starts a chapter earlier. Even more than that, Jesus is with the disciples just outside of Jerusalem on the Mount of Olives and they're wondering really two questions. They're wondering, when is the end gonna come and what's it gonna look like? As far as when the end is gonna come, that's a question we wish we all could know. I asked the people last night in Hendersonville, when do you think most people would like the end to come? And there was varying answers like 38 years, which is random, and then another 100 years. And then most people though said, right about now or tomorrow would be great because we know what God has promised promise, and that's something that we want. And that's what the disciples wanted, too, is they're starting to understand what Jesus is teaching. And so he he tells them, well, I'm not going to tell you. Only the Father knows. So they ask, well, what's it going to be like? And as they're wondering what it's going to be like, he tells them how terrible the times are going to be. But he also tells them what their life is supposed to be about. And this is how he teaches how profound their life is. He uses this parable, this parable of the talents. Now, As you look at this parable and think through it and glance through it, who are the people in this parable? The master, the one who doles out these talents, is ultimately the Lord. Correct. This is the Lord. And he's gone on a long journey and he's going to come back later. And so this long journey is our life. And when he comes back, it is either when we stand before him after we die unless judgment day comes first. And so this master who leaves, he gives out these talents. What are these talents? In our English language, we think of talents as something that we can do. We, we have abilities like we talked with the children about, right? But it's, it's something more than that. Well, let's first start with what this word meant in first century, the first century Christian world in Jesus' day. A talent is, a, is a, a way of measuring things. You would put a talent which is 70 to 80 pounds on one side of the scale and you would put usually a currency on the other side. So 70 to 80 pounds of silver would be a considerable amount of money. While it's very difficult and dangerous sometimes for Bible interpreters to try and make some modern-day equation because of inflation, what it meant in that economy and what currencies mean cross-culturally, let's just say for the sake of application that a talent of silver, and especially if it was of gold, well over a million dollars. At first when you heard this parable of the talents and he gives five, and then he gives three, and then he gives one. You're kind of wondering if that guy who got one, aw, poor guy. Until you pause and consider that he got well over a million dollars and then you don't feel sorry for him anymore. But this master, of course, is very wealthy and he goes on a long journey, which back then would not have meant catching a flight and then a red-eye back, but would have been a long, long time. That is, that is symbolizing, of course, life, when God will call us before him. And he has given us that all that we have and all that we are. These talents, of course, in the parable are measurements of money given to them for them to use until they would stand before the master again and accounting for him. So what are the things that we know pretty easily? Everything that they had, five talents the three talents the one talent, was not something that they earned. It was not something that was deserving of them. It was something that the master gave them fully and freely. It was something that the master gave them each according to their ability, verse 15 tells us. And it was something that he gave each of them, not for their own use. He didn't tell them, yeah, 10%, you can kind of go and like, that's, your, that's your, your little savings account for yourself. No, he told them, this is something for me. This is something that you're going to use for me and for, for accounting back with me when I come back. And so what do we learn about all of this? First of all, every single bit that they had was supposed to be used for the master because all of it came from him in the beginning. And we notice right away, what does the first one do who gets five talents? He, the time frame of it, he kind of kicks the can down the road, right? No, immediately he gets to work and he starts to put it all To use so that he can start to earn back on it and have something to show and we notice a difference in all of these but first where does it all come from again all of these talents came from the master where does everything come from in your life this was the children's message right everything that you have not just the ability to wink or to play sports or to draw color hopefully within the lines this is Something bigger than that. Where's the ability that you have to earn wages or to have earned wages throughout your entire life? As Luther explains in in response to the first article, God has given us our mind and all our abilities And God continues to daily and fully provide everything that we have and all that we need, right? Clothing and shoes, food and drink, house, home, wife, children, land, cattle, and all that we own and all that we need to keep our body and life. God gives us everything that we have, every synapse firing in our brain, every heartbeat, every breath, all of it comes from God. And every provision, every blessing, every ounce, every hair, every thread, the roof over your head, including every single shingle, and not just that, every single time slot that he has given you in your life to use it. Every opportunity, all of it, is given by God to you. So could anyone say that their life doesn't really have purpose? Can you really think about your existence and say, what am I here for? You cannot. Furthermore, can anyone really say, well, man, I'm, I'm really just too busy. Think about what you're really saying to the God who has given you all that you have. When you and I fall into this normal cultural, societal, personal tendency of just acknowledging and admitting that we are too busy, what are are we saying? Are we saying that God has given us too much? We wish He would give us less. If we're really saying that, then why is it that we usually are always striving and struggling for more? So that doesn't really make sense, does it? Is it really? Should it really be of the mindset or the mantra of the believer to have this attitude and imbue this philosophy that we are too busy? What are we ultimately telling God who, according to you, and the uniqueness of who you are, the person and the individual God has made you to be, and the talents, the, the provisions and the opportunities God has given you to put all that to practice, and he's equipped you with it just because of you, according to your ability, that we would look at him or he would overhear us thinking or saying, we're too busy. That has made something totally purposeful, into purposeless. That has made something totally meaningful into very mundane. God has called us to something greater than that, hasn't he? The God who gave us eternity has given us purpose and function and profound meaning here in life. Everything to be used for the glory of God. That changes the way we view life. That changes our perspective, doesn't it? Your life, all of it, every second, every act, every person, every relationship, is given by God to you because he knows you and he made you and he gave you all that you have because he knows you and he made you to use all that you have. That changes your perspective. This also, though, changes the way we view our priorities. What was the difference between these servants? the one who was given five, he was the really gifted person, right? The one that kind of makes you sick to your stomach unless you are one of those people and then you are that person. You know, the, the straight-A student, the person who, got, who, who started for all sports, very popular, very gifted, very wealthy. All of those things are great and they are blessings and God gives those blessings to people because they have those abilities and that's wonderful. And maybe that was the five-talent guy. And then there's the three-talent guy and then somewhere below that are people like me and then there's the one, there's, there's the one talent guy. I can, I can probably relate to this one talent guy, can't you? This one talent guy takes everything that he had been given and he does what? He buries it in the ground. And we know why he buries it in the ground, right? He says, you are a hard man, you're a tough guy. You harvest where you do not sow and you reap where you did not scatter seed. And what is the master have to say to all this? Notice he doesn't say, you're a liar. He doesn't say, you're, you're not speaking truth. Even though that, that is true, this guy is lying. How do we know that he's lying? Because the master doled out well over a million dollars to him. So we cannot be hypercritical, especially negatively so, to this master, can he? But instead, what does Jesus do? He uses this guy's words against himself to point out the laziness and the fearfulness and the lack of trust that this sermon, uh, this servant em- embodies. He says, so you think this, don't you? You think that I am this way, that I harvest where I do not sow and reap where I get, did not scatter seed? If you thought this, then according to your own word, then you should have put it with the bankers and then you would have received interest and then I would have gotten a, got back more on my money. So even if you were right about me, then you would have at least been smart enough to do this, but apparently you're not. So the real truth of the matter is that you are wicked, you are evil, and you are lazy. And you are lazy. And that's why, when and why, he casts him out. And it really kind of is summarized by the other thing that that servant says. He says, so I was afraid. He didn't have a proper respect of and reverence for the master. In other words, he didn't have him and his relationship with God as that first and foremost priority. So where do you think you are in this parable? you a fiver? Three? Somewhere below that? Maybe one? A lot of times when I've heard people preach on or teach this parable, they will make one of two mistakes, which are often extremes. They will always and only tell people that they are always and only the five or the three. That's who you are. That's who you are always. Or so they will very legalistically and judgmentally tell people that you're the one. Stop that. Stop burying it in the sand. And like we said at the beginning, though, the reality is often somewhere in the middle, or as we've been saying, somewhere in between. Because there are often times when we say we're too busy, predominantly because we might be leaning one way or the other. Let me explain. Sometimes we say that we're too busy because, well, we actually are. We actually are. God has given you what you have, your time and your abilities. And sometimes that's not good enough. We want more. We like to look at the money bag that somebody else has and we want to keep up with them, whoever they might be. And as we're struggling and striving to keep up and we're working, that so often that becomes the priority instead of being content to work and to serve with what God has given us. So often we're too busy because we are. We say it because we are. You, are, you and I take on more than we should. Sometimes we say that we're too busy, though, because, as I mentioned, we also like to compare. God has not called us to have the same amount uh, that other people have or to have less as other people have. He has given us, individually, respectively, what we have and who we are. There's great comfort in that. There's no reason to look for the grass being greener. There's no reason. God has made you who you are and he has gifted you to serve and you don't have to want more. What a burden that lifts off your shoulders. Probably most dangerous, though, is we, that we say we're too busy, but we're really not. We're really not. We say we're too busy because maybe we've mismanaged our priorities. Some of the things they get first priority and they're set on the, scal- the, the calendar, the schedule, and other things, they kind of get, I don't know, maybe buried in the sand a little bit. Maybe some of the spiritual responsibilities that God has given you. He has given you gifts to talk with people. But that takes time. He's given you financial gifts to support mission work, which change eternity. It's hard to see an investment return on that sometimes, though. He has given you energy so that you would be able to serve other people and to serve God. But I'm often really exhausted at the end of the day. Sometimes we dabble in between bearing God's gifts, all of them in the sand and, and service in this life in between. And it's not just spiritual abilities. It's as though he's only talking about serving in the church. It's absolutely everything you have to do. Let me put it to you this way. How much time do you think you spend in front of the TV, scrolling through social media, reading through blogs and articles, doing this kind of thing? My thumb's really good at that. Doing this kind of thing. And all of that, why? Is it, is it using all of God's gifts and all of our time and all of our abilities to really accomplish things that God has set before us? Or might some of that, if not maybe a lot of that, be kind of like burying God's time, the gifts of opportunities in the sand? I'm not saying don't have a social media account. I'm not saying don't scroll and be engaged with the world around you. What I am saying is, what are our priorities? How do we assess not just what we do for service in God's kingdom, his church, spiritually, for all that we do in our time, our everyday life, for how we are serving and ministering to our family, to our spouses, to our children, to our co-workers, how we are exemplifying the life of Christ? What are we doing with all of that? If you are like me, then you probably feel this way. You probably feel a whole lot of regret because you feel like you're just caught in between. You see all of these avenues where you could and should do better, but it feels like so much you've just buried in the sand. And some of it you didn't even try to. Yeah, there's the the proverbial can you've kicked down the road and that kind of left its its way six feet under. But so many other things you wish you could do, you just can't. And finally, we, we tell ourselves that we're too busy. And some of it's true, but some of it, if we're honest, it's not. But you know why God tells us this parable? It's not so that he would place another brick on your shoulder, so you would walk away feeling more busy and even more burdened than you did upon entering, which I'm imagining for several of you was quite a bit. The real reason why he tells you this parable is because the one telling it is the perfect servant. You see, the one telling it didn't just have five talents. He is the one who gave us all that we have. He was there and through whom all things were made, Paul tells us in Colossians. He is the one that came into this world and didn't just have some responsibilities and some time. He controlled all things and has time wrapped around his finger. Even now, he exists outside of time. This is the one, the perfect servant, who came into this world and perfectly managed every minute not to prove to you how you can better yourself, but to prove to you that he would do it for every way you and I couldn't. This is the one who perfectly exemplified a life of, t- of making the most of every opportunity, of never pushing aside people who, who weren't significant. Remember the children? This is the one who said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Even though there was a social faux pas, This is the one who sought out the social outcasts, the prostitutes, the tax collectors, the sinners. This is the one who made the most of every opportunity and was saving you and me in his active obedience in his life so that, so that when he hung on the tree, God would look at you and would not be too preoccupied, not be too busy for you. To prove it, he condemned his own son So you would know that you're the apple of his eye. So you would know that he has reserved a place for you in eternity. That he's forgiven you of all of your sins. The mismanagement, terrible prioritization, and the like. All of it. And you would know that he's given you incredible function and purpose right here and now. Is that not what your father wants to tell you? He only wants to tell you, come and enjoy your Father's happiness. Another definition is, come and and share in your Father's joy. Come and receive your Father's joy. And the way you and I can is not by doing better or bettering ourselves or 12 steps to a happier life. The way we do that is because Jesus was and is the perfect servant in our place. He's the substitute. He's the Savior. That's the way. That's the way. And that's the only way we can really find relief from the regret in this life, right? And that's the only way we can have that proper perspective, refocus on our priorities, and understand and reemphasize the eternal prize. Come and share your Father's joy. That's what your God wants to say to you. That's what he will say to you through Christ your Savior. I remember visiting John Crickball. Many of you remember him. I've mentioned him several times. He died a couple weeks before his 102nd birthday. You think he knew a little bit about managing time? I always loved listening to his stories and he would talk about what was going on in the Chicago newspaper. He had that on his his desks. Even though macular degeneration was destroying his vision, still out of the top right corner of his peripheral, he could see. So he had the bulletin, the worship folder, Forward in Christ, meditations, and the Chicago paper. Always on that magnifying contraption so that he could he could read it and he would always talk to me about experiences he had in Chicago and regrets that he had. Do you think he had just a couple living almost 102 years old? How many of you walking in here today were thinking, man, I wish I could have that day over this last week. I feel like I just buried that one in the sand. What about years worth? You know what he said to me? And usually like most wise things that he said, I just had a tendency of just writing them down. He knew just a little bit more than me. He said, you know, I have a lot of regret over things that I left undone or things that I could have done better. But I'll never forget it. Then, classic childlike faith, John Krickbaum, said, but you know what? I wouldn't trade any of them. For in all of these things there was grace and God was preparing me for what I would see. You know who can say that? It's a child of God that knows that he's given, that God has given him all that he has and all the opportunities and all the time, not so that he can prove himself to God, but so that in all these things, God's grace would prepare him for the time when he would enjoy his Father's happiness. Friends, what if we would start doing that better? What if our entire life, spiritually and physically and as employers and employees, what if we would start prioritizing and having that eternal perspective and focusing on that prize? I I guarantee you that our lives would look a whole lot better. We, We would start to function a whole lot better too, but realize that that's not the end goal. The end goal is that throughout everything and every ounce of time in your life, God is preparing you for the time when he will look you, look you in the face, the person whom he has gifted with abilities, and because of the perfect servant, he will look at you, his servants, and say, come and enjoy your father's happiness. May God continue to prepare us until that day. Amen. Thank you for joining us for our sermon webcast. I'm Pastor Caleb Kerbis. To discuss today's sermon or to discover more about our ministry, visit our website at lsavior.org. Thank you again for joining us, and may God bless your day.